Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lion Trust Multi-Asset Podcast. I'm James Smith and as ever, I'm joined by our Head of Multi-Asset, John Hustleby. Hi there, John. Hello there. Um, last time, John, you mentioned uh, right at the end that you were about to go fly off to, G- to Chicago for the annual Morningstar Investment Conference. Uh, and over the course of a couple of podcasts, we're going to be talking about um, what you learned there and some of the, the, the key takeaways. Um, before we get into that, um, I think listeners will uh, have come to expect a little bit of football conversation in these. So uh, Chicago isn't the only trip you've you've been on recently. I think we probably need to get that out of the way very quickly. Yes, yes. I was uh, lucky enough to uh, travel to Madrid to see the Champions League final. Uh, and whilst I had a ticket in the stadium, uh, obviously supporting the wrong side on the day. But a fantastic experience, the whole thing. And uh, I think despite some of the reports in terms of the uh, the organisation, for us it was great. Um, the, the whole the whole atmosphere, the whole occasion was great, as I said, uh, apart from the result. So uh, well done. Congratulations to you, James. Fair enough. Um, oh, I think we can probably leave football alone for a couple of weeks at least till the new season starts. Um, so before we before we look at some of the the takeaways from the conference, is it is it is it worth very quickly reiterating why you go to the Morningstar Investment Conference? What 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 why you think it's a it's a useful um it's a, a useful thing to do with because uh, it's it's a, it's a le- decent length of time. Why do you think it's a good good exercise each year? Yeah, I mean, I think um, in terms of the US, you know, it's very much I would consider it to be the home of mutual fund investing. What tends to happen in the US? In most cases, and uh, we'll probably talk about one or two things which uh, perhaps uh, is is not the case, but in most cases, what happens in the US tends to be ahead of what happens uh, across the pond, UK and Europe. You know, it's uh, a conference which is held in their hometown, uh, home city of Chicago, uh, around about, I should think around about 2,000 people attend and over 100 asset managers uh, are there uh, with stands and uh, exhibiting their, their wares. It attracts some of the very best speakers in the industry, but also external speakers as well. And uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I mean, I've got a thirst for learning, um, and I think you have to in this role. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think uh, some of the, the knowledge that you, you get from it. Uh, and also, I suppose, one thing that uh, is good, you're in, you're in the centre of, of it all, and it just gives you a chance to think. It gives you a chance to think about things. I scribble notes galore, as you know. Um, we've come back, and uh, as you know, we've got, we've got uh, more than one or two blogs to write. Yeah, and um, I think we'll we'll be putting a blog out on this uh, on this very topic over the next couple of days. So um, keep an eye out for that. So, but let's uh, let, let's let's get started. Let, let's let's start working through these these takeaways. First one um, you talked about is um, uh, focusing on something Morningstar is doing. It's uh, it's it's developing and, and about to release a, a more detailed um, model for researching funds, a, a seven factor model. Could you could you talk through? What they were saying about that there and why you think it could have um, interesting consequences for analyzing funds yeah so i said you know it's morningstar morningstar based in chicago uh, and they have breakout sessions and those breakout sessions are hosted and presented by their leading uh, their leading analysts and uh, you know uh, they uh, like to talk about things that they're developing and things that they're introducing so straight away you know um, straight off the bat the, the first thing that they were talking about was basically how they are introducing uh, uh, a seven-factor uh, model for researching funds. Now, 
if you remember, Morningstar are the ones that brought to the world uh, the, the two-factor model or the two-dimensional style box, that being value and uh, also size, value growth, size, large cap, mid cap. And it's, you know, it's been very popular, obviously, in the States, and uh, I think everyone familiar with it uh, in the UK as well. But that was developed, as I said, in the 90s, and, and not much has really come on since then. And now they're going to introduce a seven-factor uh, seven model. They estimate, as, uh, and as probably most people would say, there's over 300 factors out there that, uh, uh, that, that uh, managers use to, to, to garner alpha in terms of their funds. So I think it's fair to say that whilst the academic papers are out there, I would, I would agree with, uh, with Morningstar when they say that perhaps most of those factors are just derivatives of, just derivatives of others as well. So what are the factors? It's value, size quality, momentum, yield, uh, volatility, and liquidity. And what it really means is now when you find two value managers, you can then break them down a little bit more. You can see uh, more of the attributes of those managers than, than perhaps you did in the past. Okay, interesting. Um, the next um, next observation you had is, um, again, I, think, I don't know if this was from a breakout session, but um, when, when building managed portfolios and, and looking to diversify, investors need to make sure you're not simply replicating a market at greater cost could you could you talk through what you mean there and and what particular session at the, at the conference was um was informing you on that yeah i think uh, i said it's a reminder of what we do in our investment style so you know we talk a, a lot about winning by not losing thinking about the downside before we think about about the the upside in terms of the way that we manage money part of that is very much diversification so diversification by asset class by country region, by credit duration, uh, and by invest, investment style as well in terms of, uh, of building portfolios. Diversification means that you, know, you won't always be in the winners, but you won't be in the losers. And what you're trying to achieve is a smoother ride from a balanced uh, portfolio. And it's just a reminder, I think, I suppose it, it leads into the, uh, it comes from the first point we talked about with, with the seven factors. It's just a reminder that essentially if you are going to basically blend uh, you know, value and growth together, just be careful that you don't end up with basically bringing it back to an index tracker. Now, uh, we're very careful about that, but equally, you know, when we're building our portfolios, yes, we have a belief in consistency of star rather than consistent performance. But we're also looking to tilt, and as you know, currently in the in the portfolios, when we're tilting, we're trying to tilt towards cheaper assets, and today that will be a tilt towards value. But yeah, um, you know, we talk about diversification, but said so just don't get caught into the trap that you've really just recreated an index tracker and paying you know eighty ninety basis points for the privilege. Okay. Um, third lesson, again, it's uh, an another, I think one of the key things you, you get from going there is getting a good idea of some of the, the trends that are, that are starting in the US, which like you said, kind of tends to dominate investment as an industry. Um, one of the observations you made is that the, the, uh, the outsourcing market in the US for managed portfolios is, is growing significantly. Um, there's some obvious trends developing there. Could you talk through kind of some of the some of the the trends you're seeing in that outsourced space and how you think they may kind of manifest here in the UK? Yeah, um, more and more outsourcing, and uh, I think that's something that perhaps the US and the UK is fairly similar with. I don't don't see 
Uh, perhaps that's something I, uh, that over the years I've been going to the conference, perhaps I've seen uh, a more of an increase in outsourcing and perhaps more of a catch up with what we do in the UK. However, that's, there's some very interesting data which was presented, not only in the growth and it is a, the rapid growth of outsourcing, but also in what types of portfolios that people are basically looking to outsource to. So, you know, they came in, the, in their categories. They came in categories that basically uh, said that, you know, uh, Proposition are, are either looking for passive, low cost managed portfolios, uh, managed funds, or similar very much to what we do in terms of blending between active and, and passive. But then very clearly in terms of uh, when the propositions are used. So, you know, target risk type portfolios are being used in the accumulation type phase. Uh, and in the sort of decumulation phase, in other words, you know, sort of retirement, post-retirement, very much goals-based offerings. And those goals-based offerings were things such as inflation plus type, type offerings. Um, the next thing that, uh, and clearly, as I said, you know, uh, the US tends to be ahead but not in the case of uh, ESG. I, I see that very much behind in that respect. And it was only this year uh, did I see more and more stands in, in, in that respect. So beginning to grow and there's a beginning to see, uh, you know, demand for ESG uh, in outsourcing portfolios as well. Okay. Um, the last couple of uh, takeaways we're going to discuss today, um, both focus on, uh, on passive. Um, no, no, no one listening will be will be surprised that uh, passive continues to grow. Obviously, the US is very much the leader there. First point you, you're talking about, John, is just just really the the proliferation of, of of passive and some some trends in the US and and the rest of the world. Could you could you give us an idea of what was being talked about there? Well, I don't think the numbers really surprised me in the US and the percentage, you know, and uh, the market share was a number that was, you know, banded around on a couple of occasions that, you know, 45% uh, of the market in the US, you know, is in passive funds. However, I was surprised to hear that that number is even greater in Asia. Uh, and obviously, clearly, you know, before you scratch your head and ask the reason why, I'll tell you, it was basically uh, around the fact that, when Japan, the Japanese government, Bank of uh, uh, Bank of uh, Japan, when they've been doing their QE, you know they've been buying uh, securities, listed assets, and in doing so, they bought passive funds. So um, the bulk of that rise in passive funds in Asia uh, is through through QE. You know, the numbers in Europe, yes, they're on the rise, but they're not as significant as in the US. And I still put that down to the fact of the tax advantages that you get, particularly for ETFs in the US, 401ks, etc. Those tax advantages just don't exist in Europe and not in the UK. Okay. Um, I think some, some of the numbers you, you, you came back with, it's estimated that there's 3.3 million passive funds around the world, which is uh, about 70 times the number of, of globally listed equity index securities. One of the trends that was being talked about was um, the vast majority of these, something like three quarters work with one of three index providers, mm. which has led to some uh, challenging pricing behavior, <laughs> perhaps from, from those three. Uh, could you talk through what, what, what was being said on that, on that subject? Yeah, and I think you're beginning to see that now as well. And that basically is if you want to create a, if you want to create a, a passive fund, an ETF or a, uh, um, you know, an open-ended fund based upon a well-known index, uh, then clearly you're going to go to one of three providers in the main to, to get that. The price you know, for that 
uh, for that data for that brand, you know, uh, is is basically got significantly higher. And as such, people are now looking to build those indices themselves. So the brand name has the patent on it. The brand name is basically what you pay for. However, if you want to create an index of, you know, uh, basically the largest companies in the US, you know, on a market cap basis, that methodology, there's no patent around that. You can you can create that. And so what you're beginning to see is basically, uh, um, I suppose a bit like the drug companies, is a bit like, you know, the generics when you come to that. You know, if you want paracetamol, there's plenty of brand names out there, but equally, you know, you can get... Tesco's own, Boots own, and Sainsbury's own for what 1020p. Now that's exactly the, the trend that's happening in terms of trackers that basically people are going to data providers, getting the sort of um, uh, the data they provide in terms of creating the companies and the indexes, and creating these lookalike indexes for a fraction of the price. And I think that's something that's going to happen over here. Okay. Um, we'll, um, we'll, we'll cover the, uh, the rest of your takeaways next time. Um, before we finish, you obviously weren't uh, purely thinking about investment when you were in the US. You also had your first experience of a baseball game. Could you, uh, could you finish off by giving us a couple of thoughts on, on that? Yeah, Wednesday night, um, obviously baseball, I think it's five games, isn't it, in a, in a match. And uh, I went to Wrigley Park, which is, you know, Wrigley Field, I should say, which is uh, probably, you know, one of, one of the most well-known um, baseball uh, fields uh, in, in, in the US uh, to watch the, um, uh, the Cubs play against the, the Marlins. Uh, it was a pretty cool evening in terms of the weather. Um, in fact, it was quite amazing. The, the game was supposed to start at 7.09, which is a really strange, strange time. However, because of the weather, they pulled it back uh, to 6.39. Can you imagine that in a Premier League game? Can you imagine they say, it's actually, you know, it's going to be a bit wet, so we're not going to kick off at 3 o'clock, we're going to kick off at 2.30. However, the game itself... You know, well, that was the week when there was two Champion League semi-finals on, so you nothing was going to beat that. I found the the, the game rather lacked the action and the entertainment. However, in terms of a social occasion, I tell you, it's quite hard to beat. It was phenomenally good. Uh, two three hours of basically watching uh, watching the Americans enjoy themselves, drinking beer, and the multitude of hot dogs that, that uh, you can you can make. I didn't even know. Um, basically, it was it was a great evening. If you've never been to baseball. Uh, grin and bear the game but you'll you'll have a fabulous time okay that's uh, that's good to hear um well thanks that's all we've got time for today so john thanks enough thanks as ever for your time and uh, thanks everybody for for listening thank you